Come down to the little garden with me. Come go with me. Come go and see. You're listening to SGV Weekly. This is the show about the people and the places that make the San Gabriel Valley home. My name is Chris Greenspawn. I still say Here in the SGV, we've been educated with a mythology about our founders, the pioneers. Their presence is so common that it just blends right into the background. Personally, I have this blurry but colorful memory from first grade at Roland Avenue. We were having a founders festival, and there was a big stagecoach on the playground. The driver was wearing an old brown vest and a red bandana. I got excited and asked him if he was a robber, and the guy laughed and said, No! I'm a pioneer. Over the years, I started to notice the Western vibe of towns like Covina and San Dimas. And later I realized that there were wagon wheels in Azusa, Baldwin Park, and El Monte. In fact, back in the 30s, when Dust Bowl immigrants came to California, El Monte had pioneer parades. Literally, welcome wagons. A history book written under the New Deal even said, El Monte has no Spanish, Mexican, or even Indian background. It's the first purely and strictly American settlement in Southern California. But if that's true, where'd they get the name El Monte? It means wilderness in Old Spanish, and the Keech called it Hutna, which means something like the Willow Garden. This week on the show, we'll hear how the pioneer narrative shaped the San Gabriel Valley in the extended cut of a story I produced for KCRW about the history of El Monte. I'm Chris Greenspawn. It's SGV Weekly. That's like the um, scoring booth. This is a professional um, racetrack for boats. Did you know that? (laughs) Those were the sounds of the Whittier Narrows recreation area. Now for some local news. The Press Enterprise reports a father and son suspected of robbing 20 different Trader Joe's have been charged after holding up the Chino Hills location. After mugging the management cabana for $3,800, a security guard followed them back to LA on the 60 and called Highway Patrol. The son confessed and clothing was found inside their Toyota that matched descriptions from other Trader Joe's robberies, including San Dimas and Monrovia. The thefts took place across counties, totaling 57000 bucks, and the two men might face up to 20 years in prison on federal charges. The Tribune reports El Monte Mayor Jessica Ancona is recovering from COVID-19. She was in the hospital for several days and is home now, but she's still on breathing support. Ancona says she hasn't been to City Hall since before Thanksgiving, but the whole facility is still being sanitized. The mayor says she saw firsthand how hospitals are overburdened right now and encourages residents to take the illness seriously. SGB City Watch reports, a corpse was discovered floating in the industry riverbed last Friday. A pedestrian spotted the body near Crossroads Parkway and Workman Mill. Sheriffs are investigating and haven't said yet if they suspect foul play. And the Pasadena Star reports, Pasadena will rejoin the San Gabriel Valley Council of Governments two years after leaving it. Rejoining the council was one of newly elected Mayor Gordo's campaign promises. Reportedly, the group wanted to continue the 710 freeway north, and this was a sticking point for previous Mayor Tornick. 
The freeway project is now dead, and Pasadena owes over $120,000 in back dues to return as a member. Gordo says the city acted impulsively and stands to gain from united governance over water, housing, transit, and homelessness, even if the city leaders don't always agree on what to do with them. He also sees the council, which now contains every city in the valley, as a powerful apparatus to fight back against state overreach. And that's some of this week's news around the San Gabriel Valley. When we return, it's the unearthing of El Monte's racist origin story with South El Monte Arts Posse and the city's two museums on SGV Weekly. SGV Weekly is supported by Callback Yesterday, a new podcast in which John Raby explores somewhere in time, love, loss, memory, nostalgia, Mackinac Island, and time travel. If you're a secret fan of the movie, which turns 40 this year, own a time machine shaped like a book, and still talk to your dead loved ones, maybe this is the podcast for you. Call back yesterday with John Raby. John urges you to support SGV Weekly with a generous donation, like he did. Does your Instagram feed need more than thirst traps and cheese pools? Follow SGV Weekly for interview clips with everyday people and pictures of the rowdiest cars in the 626. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Rate and review the show to help us get it out there and make a better program for the San Gabriel Valley. Visit sgvweekly.com for expanded content from each episode and a link to our Patreon. Give if you can and support citizen journalism. Thanks. Now back to SGV Weekly. How did the San Gabriel Valley's history become its history? Depends on who you ask. El Monte is recognized for being the first white American settlement in the state of California. It was colonized after the gold rush in 1852 by settlers from Texas and Kentucky. For generations, their story was the one celebrated by the city and taught in school. But the people of color who built El Monte have their own stories too. Romeo Guzman teaches history at Claremont Graduate University. What that begs is, if this is the case, right, if El Monte and Santa Monte are populated by people of color and we're the majority, why aren't we reflected in the history books, right? Like, what does a history of people of color look like in this place? It looks like slavery, racial terrorism, refugee camps, and radical art in the SGV. It's all in the recent book Guzman co-edited called East of East. This is the most comprehensive and thorough history of El Monte and Santa Monte, period. East of East connects El Monte not just to Texas and Kentucky, but to Mexico, Spain, China, Vietnam, and East L.A. On top of that, it bridges the distance between the area's two major narratives, the pioneers and the farm workers. As we discuss East of East and the story it tells, we'll visit the town's two museums and hear what the story was before the book came out. I noticed that our history of this place was missing from a larger history of Chicano history. Journalist Caribbean Fragosa graduated from South El Monte High School in 1999 and went to UCLA. She co-edited East of East with Guzman and historians Ryan Reft and Alex Cummings. Probably in college is when I started to crave to tell any story about our place and to feel the need to be represented, even though I didn't know what stories about this place needed to be told. There weren't really any landmarks to point Fragosa's way. Legion Stadium and Gay's Lion Farm were torn down before she was born, and she had no idea that her town once had murals, 
a guerrilla theater group, and a popular East Side lesbian bar. I felt like there was always a subversive character to the people here. I grew up going to backyard gigs, parties and raves, and many of my friends growing up and in high school were very talented artists as well. Even though El Monte artists were going away, leaving El Monte, they were still participating in the larger discourse, but not specifically as El Monte artists. In 2011, Fregosa and Guzman founded South El Monte Arts Posse to bring art to the streets. The next year, 2012, was El Monte's 100th anniversary, and that brought something else to the streets. A parade. We saw the city really gearing up to celebrate the centennial, using a lot of the imagery of the covered wagon. And that history, as we know, excludes people of color. And so that's what sparked us into starting this project. This kind of celebration was nothing new, though. What happens is in the 1930s, we start seeing these quote-unquote pioneer parades. And what they were were these big day-long festivals. At some point, it's a three-day festival that was celebrating the pioneers, right? Celebrating the Americans who had come to El Monte in the 1850s and thinking about them as the sort of origins of the history of El Monte, of the founding of the city. And what happens is after a couple of years of doing this in the 1930s, they eventually create the El Monte Circle Society. And from the 30s all the way to the present, the museum has not really shifted its focus. 20 years later, the El Monte Historical Society founded the El Monte Historical Museum in 1958 to preserve its antiques. This was the museum that Fragosa grew up with, which functions as the city's official historical organ. Over the years, it's had little to no exhibits on the Latino and Asian communities. But the Mexicans and the Japanese and the Chinese, they were our labor force here in El Monte. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be the city that we are now because they came before us all and did all the hard labor for us. Kathy Aridia is the museum's newest director. She knows tons of information about how the pioneers got the town set up. So the pioneer families that left Independence, Missouri in 1849, they headed this way on a 14-month trek to get here, but their intention was to go north once they got to California to head to the gold mines. But it was such an arduous trip that a lot of them said when they got here, we're settling. But she's also aware of much of the history reevaluated in East of East, like the Keech villages around the Rio Hondo and the Whittier Narrows. The tribe had migrant camps around Southern California until the late 1700s. They are still around and they are trying to get back their heritage because they were enslaved by the Spanish to build the missions. And natives weren't treated better under Mexican rule or anyone's rule. After being slaves to the Spanish in 1821, they became like sharecroppers to the Californios. Mixed-race Mexicans were in the middle, like overseers, until 1849 when they also got pushed to the bottom. With the Mexican-American War and the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, it really transformed the landscape when this became U.S. territory rather than Mexican territory. After conquering the West, President Polk had no intention of honoring the treaty. And a lot of people had Spanish land grants, Mexican land grants, those all went away, so now you had people fighting for their land. Various chunks of the Monte area were owned by the Workman Temple family, by Henry Dalton, and former Alta California Governor Pio Pico. 
Some landowners would eventually be able to get some of their holdings back, but right after the war, as Americans headed west for the gold rush, it was up for grabs. Monty was known as a rest area. Chuck Hoffman is vice president of the El Monte Historical Society. People were going to the church, to the Los Angeles Pueblo. They would stop here and rest. They had feed, they had water, but nobody really lived here. And this was a floodplain. And so it was very rich, fertile soil. The water table was very high. And these European Americans came here. They were farmers, all of them. And it was like, hey, we can make a living here. Except people did live in the area. So a group of settlers took it upon themselves to violently dominate them. They were called the Monty Boys. <clears throat> we have our good past and we have our bad past, but no, we don't have any artifacts about the Monty Boys. They were known throughout the L.A. area, and there's a bit of a myth to them. That's the story. They were former Texas Rangers. They could ride. They could shoot from a riding horse. They were trained. Also, California, as I remember what I read, offered ammunition and sidearms to people for protection or such. And so they were given these items and they used them. And they're much closer to sort of vigilantes whose sense of justice is very much dictated by their own sort of whiteness and who, for all intents and purposes, create more chaos and order. The Monte boys were involved in manhunts, lynchings, decapitation, and arson, mainly against Mexican men suspected of crimes, but rarely proven guilty. Meanwhile, the Civil War began, with the Monte Boys supporting the Confederacy. It wasn't until the 1880s, a generation after the pioneers arrived, that they were replaced by police. But their actions set the stage for future segregation and racist power structures in El Monte. By the turn of the century, the old European and Mexican landlords were dead or broke, and the San Gabriel Valley was a profitable farmland. Colonists relied on immigrant labor to work their fields— but they didn't want them as neighbors, so the workers had to take refuge in camps outside of the city limits. A lot of the people that came here in the beginning were, you know, because of the Mexican Revolution. You know, a lot of times people had to leave. They had to flee. It was like fight or be killed. Rosa Peña is president of La Historia Society. It's the other museum in El Monte, just a block away on Tyler Avenue. But this one is much newer, much smaller, and it's focused on the barrios. Well, they had like their own stores. Um, you had um, different people that owned the stores or the gas stations. So you basically had what you needed in your own community. So a lot of times you didn't leave. She's talking about the largest one, Hicks Camp, by the DMV in Driftwood Dairy. It was there from the 1910s to the 1970s. El Monte's former mayor, Ernie Gutierrez, grew up there. He and his wife, Olga, founded La Historia with members of other barrios in 1998. They felt their history had been ignored in favor of the pioneers' descendants. Gutierrez told East of East that Hicks was where he became politicized. Hicks Camp was a dirt farm camp. They had no street lights, no stop signs, no street signs, no curbs, no gutters, and potholes that you stopped counting when you got to a thousand. And I remember asking uh, uh, Mr. Hicks, when was he going to come and... and, and <laughs> And level those potholes. What did he say? My dad said, no, 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 no
It was segregation, plain and simple. White people could live in the city limits, and Latinos and Asians had to rent space on the outskirts of town to build their own homes. This ghettoization led to the founding of South El Monte in 1958. Gang culture developed along with the new city, and it was pretty bad by 1977. And so they hired this young artist, his name is Ron Reeder, and asked him to start a mural program in South El Monte with these teenagers. Really, it was like a gang intervention program. Reader showed the boys a photo of the infamously whitewashed mural by David Siqueiros. It was a painting of an indigenous man being crucified under an American eagle. The boys could relate. They were constantly in trouble. They were, I think, almost all of them enrolled at Vallelindo High School, which was a continuation high school. So they'd already either experienced some form of incarceration or some bad run-in with the law and with authority. So they also could really identify with that sort of punishment and being really marginalized and oppressed. They painted their own crucifixion and made a short film about quitting banging to become artists and do-gooders. Not to be outdone, El Monte hired a dozen artists to put up murals inspired by the city. Maybe they wanted covered wagons. But they got barrio history instead. Gronk made this really beautiful mural of an Adelita, who is like a woman, Mexican revolutionary. And she's holding a gun and she's got some ammunition on her. And he painted it on Red Wing shoes in the Valley Mall. And it caused controversy. Apparently, some of the shoppers that came to the Valley Mall did not like it. They felt like it was too confrontational, too aggressive. City Council erased the Adelita and put a year-long moratorium on all murals. The artists moved on and founded a major institution in Hollywood, Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibitions. So it essentially killed like a potentially vibrant muralism and art movement in El Monte. That's how the pioneer myth has persisted as the obsolete symbol of the city. None of the council people who whitewashed the murals are still in power, but the irony remains. A mythic revolutionary in Mexico was more threatening in 1977 than the pioneers that included the Monte Boys were in 2012. So East of East documents those who the city never memorialized. There were the Flores Magón brothers, Mexican anarchists hiding out in the SGV, the Sugar Shack, a family-run lesbian dive bar, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, the troubled biracial bluesman who sang in the gun club, and Teatro Urbano, a guerrilla theater troupe trying to spread political consciousness beyond East L.A. None of them left an obvious trace in El Monte. But that's not the point for Guzman. The idea of possibility has to always remain important to us, right? This idea that even if the theater people weren't supported and if they were pushed out or even if they didn't get to do a lot of it, they still did something, right? Even if the murals were there for a little bit, but then they were gone. You know, those things were still there. So I think part of the reason that documenting these stories, whether, you know, they're small or whether they don't create permanence, right, is the idea that maybe we can create something more permanent or maybe we can build on those efforts. But also just to be historically accurate, this is the most comprehensive and thorough history of El Monte and South El Monte, period. And it needs to be taught. You just heard Romeo Guzman and Caribbean Fragosa, editors of East of East, Kathy Aridia and Chuck Hoffman of the El Monte Historical Society, and Rosa Peña of La Historia Society Museum. You can find links to all of their work at sgvweekly.com, where you can also find a link to the original version of this story that ran on KCRW's Greater L.A. 
And that's going to be it for the show until the new year. I'm taking a break, but I'll have more stories for you soon. Our theme song is Carry Home by The Gun Club, courtesy of Manifesto Records. Our logo was designed by Felipe Flores. I'm Chris Greenspawn. This is SGV Weekly. So carry home I have returned Through so many highways And so many tears